right. Well, good morning, good morning. This has been fun so far. And uh, there is a lot of things in a new church. We are, uh, we're about five months old right now. And uh, one of the things with a new church, uh, there are new things that we're doing. And today was the first time I've ever done a baby dedication. And that was fun. Thank you for doing that with me. That was, that was just special. And uh, so thank you, uh, Bellamy's, for having Audrey and uh, giving us the opportunity. That was, that was fun. Uh, we're going to start today, we're going to continue with our question series, the God questions. We started this sermon series a few weeks ago, and kind of dealing with what are some of the common questions that people have about God? What are some of the common misconceptions or, or beliefs that people have about God? And, and, and what does God say about those questions? And how can we come into an understanding of, of, of a solid answer for that question? And so today, we're going to deal with this question on who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is he really the Son of God? You know, we have all these opinions about Jesus. Depending on where you go, you can turn on the TV, you can turn on the radio, you can talk to your friend, you can talk to your, talk to your drinking buddy, you can talk to anybody you want, and they're all going to have a different opinion about who Jesus is. And so one of the questions I want to start out with is, who do you believe that Jesus is? I mean, that's a question we all need to ask. Who do we actually believe that Jesus is? In fact, there's a story in, in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus is hanging out with his friends. He's hanging out with his buddies. And he asks them a series of questions that are very similar to this. His first question he asks them is, he says, hey, friends, hey, disciples, hey, 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 homies, who do people say that I am? You've been around other people. Who do they say I am? And the disciples are sitting there saying, well, you know, some people say that you are like Moses. And, and some people say that you're like Jeremiah. And others say you're like Elijah. And they say, you know, you're like one of the prophets. And you and I, we know, yeah, we hear the same things about people. Everybody, Jesus, the truth is, Jesus is the most famous person in all of history. He's also the most controversial person in all of history. And so we know, yeah, we've turned on the TV show. We've turned the TV on. We've read the newspaper. We've read the books. There is always, everybody has an opinion about Jesus, depending on who you talk to. I mean, you can look and there are scholars out there today. There are scholars who will say, you know, there's not even evidence that Jesus is real. I mean, there's scholars that say there's not evidence that Jesus really existed. There's others. You may have a teacher or professor who they'll say things like, well, you know, Jesus, you know, he was a good teacher and he was a good man, but he wasn't the son of God. You can't, you can't make that claim. And then I don't know if you've got this in your family, but you've got the one person in your family who's got the long hair, who plays hacky sack, who reads a bunch of uh, uh, psychology and, and, and philosophy, and he'll tell you, you know, that Jesus, you know, he's a good guy, but he said some things that aren't very nice. You know, he's not very loving to other people. He calls, he calls people out for their sin. You know, that Jesus, you know, he's just, you know, you have to reject his teachings. And because you reject his teachings, because what he says isn't very nice, you also then have to reject Jesus. You see, as we look around our society and our culture, everybody has a different opinion about Jesus. Some people will say he's a good teacher. Some people will say, well, he's just a good example for us to follow. Some people will say he's an important historical character. Others will say he was a myth. And others will say he was a legend. And so Jesus is sitting there with his, his disciples and he says, hey, okay, I understand this is what everybody else says. But then Jesus turns the table and takes this one step further. And he looks at every one of them and he says, who do you say that I am? Not who does a TV show say, not who does Oprah say I am, but who do you say that I am? This is 
the most important question that any of us will ever be asked. And it's the most important question that we have got to have an answer to. Because the reality is our eternity, our eternity lies in how we respond to this question. The fate of where we will spend eternity lies in how we answer this question. A lot of people have an opinion. A lot of people have made up their mind. And I want to I challenge you today to come up with the answer of who do you say that Jesus is? Now, as we've talked, and we know that there are a lot of different people that have opinions on who Jesus is. I think it's only fair for us, since, since we know that everybody else has an opinion, I think it's only fair that we turn to God's word and say, what does Jesus say about himself? Who did Jesus say that he was? I mean, if we're going to have this conversation about who Jesus is, maybe we should look and see what Jesus said about himself. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. If you have a Bible, we're in Luke chapter 22. Uh, if you need a Bible, there's an usher in the back, Mike in the back with the glasses. If you need a Bible, just put your hand up. We'd love to put one of those in your hand. Uh, we would say, let that be our gift to you. Um, if you need a Bible, take it home with you. Read it, use it, and mark it up. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22, verses 63 to 71. And it begins out and it says this. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy! Who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. And when day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council and said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. That is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, this opportunity to gather together to hear your word. Lord, I pray as we wrestle with these questions of wanting to understand what does Christianity mean and, and, and what do we do with all these questions that we have. Lord, I pray even with this question today of who is Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, you would speak to our souls, and you would give us a response that we would know who you are. Lord, I pray that your spirit would, would allow us to put away the distractions and focus on, on, on who you are and that you would reveal yourself to us today. We thank you for meeting us in this place. And we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. The context of where we are in Luke chapter 22, the storyline for the, for the gospel of Luke goes like this. The story of Luke is, is, tells uh, the story of Jesus' life. It's kind of his biography. It starts out with his birth and how he grew up. And it says for 30 years as he, was, as, as he was born and as he grew up, he worked in construction with his dad. He was a construction worker. Him and his dad would build things together. And that was their job. They, they worked on the construction crew. And at about 30 years old, Jesus began his public ministry. He began preaching and teaching the people about who he is and, and, and what God's plan was for his life. 
And during this time, as Jesus was in his ministry, it centered around this rural region called Galilee. And Galilee was full of of people like fishermen and farmers and, and all in small towns. And so Jesus' ministry, he goes between these small towns to these, these fishermen and these farmers and these, these people. And he's teaching them and he's preaching about who he is and what God has, has, has called him and sent him to the earth to do. And, and over three years of his ministry, his fame and his popularity grew. And there were, there were numerous people and, and, and people that would just follow him and say, man, we want to hear what Jesus has to say. We want to hear what he's teaching. And his, his, his support base continued to increase. But the problem was there was these, these religious and political leaders. And they were on the outside looking in and they began to become jealous of Jesus because he was attracting such a large crowd. And because people were following him. People loved him. Him. People loved listening and obeying to what Jesus had said. And so these religious and these political leaders became infuriated because of the large numbers of people who began to follow Jesus. And, and, and as they looked, they had this eroding base of, of support and authority because people were not necessarily listening to them anymore. They wanted to listen to Jesus. They wanted to follow Jesus. And so these religious and these political leaders who they never agreed on anything, they were always in competition with each other. They came together and united under one purpose, and that was to stop the growing popularity of Jesus. And so these religious and political leaders, they turned to one of Jesus' disciples and said, hey, would you help, would you aid us in arresting Jesus? We know that was Judas Iscariot. So, Jewish, so Jesus, he's, he's around 33 years old, and, and, and he comes, he gets arrested one evening. And verse 63 to 65, we read that there are three things that happened to Jesus when he was arrested. We read that he was blindfolded, he was beat, and he was blasphemed. You see, the surprising thing is this is Jesus. This, this character that is being blindfolded and beaten and blasphemed and mocked and made fun of, this is Jesus. See, this beating, this late night beating happened by a mob. And this mob, there were no witnesses around to see what was happening. And, and the religious leaders, they were silent on the whole issue because sometimes, sometimes religious, religious leaders are the worst of all. And so Jesus is blindfolded. He's being beaten. He's being blasphemed. They're speaking ill of him. They're cursing him. They're, they're, they're dishonoring him. And see, the amazing thing is, is this is God. This is God who came to the earth, God with us, Emmanuel. And this is what religion does to God with us. They treat him, they blindfold him, they beat him, they blaspheme him. And we find that, that, that this occurred all night long for hours upon hours of this beating and this blaspheme of Jesus because we saw in verse 66 that it said the next day when the sun came up. So they did this all night long. Let me say this. Some of you have experienced abuse. Some of you have been the victim of assaults. The Bible says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses because the Lord Jesus has been there. I know there are some of you that have been physically and or sexually assaulted in a number of ways. Jesus was physically assaulted. He was beaten. His dignity was shamed. He was attacked by vicious men. Some of you know the feeling. You know what it's like to have uh, abusive 
boyfriend, abusive father, abusive husband. You know what it's like to have a bunch of bullies who picked on you, who made your life painful, and who hurt you deeply. The God of the Bible understands, because that's what happened to Jesus. This is what is happening to Jesus. He was there himself. He experienced that humility. He experienced that shame. He experienced the same thing that we feel. Praise God we do not have a high priest who can't sympathize and doesn't know what we're going through. Our text picks up with Jesus after a sleepless night of beatings. You've got a picture. He's been beat all night. You've got a picture. His face is probably swollen. He's probably got black eyes. There's cuts on his lips. His body is aching. And the next morning, they drag him into court. And they bring Jesus into court for his trial. And, 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 and the, question, uh, the question of these religious and political leaders, it all comes, there's all these questions coming at Jesus. But it all comes down to one question. The one question they want to know is, are you the Son of God? Are you the Son of God? Because if they can get Jesus to admit this, then they have every right to kill him, to crucify Jesus. And so the whole trial is about this one question. Are you the Son of God? Because if, if Jesus claimed that he was the Son of God, that would be, then they would consider him guilty of blasphemy. Someone claiming to be God. And the political leaders, they looked and said, if, if, if they can use the state's authority to put him to death because he's declaring himself to be the king of kings, which would mean that he's trying to elevate himself above Caesar. And nobody's greater than Caesar because he's our king. And so, he's in court. Here's Jesus. We know Jesus can't lie. And they're judging him by re- the religious and, and, and legal law. Now, you, if you've got to know, if, if you've got to say Jesus wasn't God, you've got to explain this to me. If Jesus was not God, you've got to explain this to me because Jesus is here in court. And he realizes his life is at stake. He realizes if he... Get, gets proven guilty in this court of law that he is going to be crucified. He is going to be killed for saying this. You've got to help me understand if Jesus wasn't God, then why, would he den- why wouldn't he deny it? I mean, this is a point in time that there's a gun to the side of his head with this question. All Jesus has to do is recant. Nope, I didn't say that. Nope, I'm not that. I mean, I, I, that's all Jesus has to do. And the trial is over and most likely his life would be spared. So if Jesus wasn't the Son of God, this would be the time for him to say it. This would be the time for him to recant and say, you know what, you're right, I was just screwing around, I was kidding, I'm not really true. I mean, this would be the time for him to do it. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't. There's three ways that Jesus declares himself to be the only God, knowing that he's going to be put to death uh, after this brutal beating. He's going to be put to this, this terrible death. Because three ways... Three ways he, he claimed that he was the son of God. The first one, look with me, uh, look with me at verses uh, 66 to 68. It says, when day came, see again, he was beat all night long. When day came, the assembly of the elders gathered together, both the chief priests and the scribes. Those are the religious and political leaders. They've, they've combined, united together, and they have Jesus on trial. And they led him away to their council. And they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. He says, if you are the Christ, tell us. And Jesus' response is this. He says, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask, you will not answer. 
See, the first argument is, are you the Christ? That's their way of saying, are you the only God? Christ was a title. In the Greek New Testament, in the Hebrew Old Testament, it would also be called the Messiah. So what they're asking is they're saying, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you the anointing one? Are you the Savior that we've been waiting for? We've been waiting for this Messiah. Are you Emmanuel, God with us? Because God's people have been waiting for a Redeemer, for a Savior, for a Deliverer. And their question is, are you Him? Are you the Christ? Are you Christ? Are you God among us? Are you here to save us? Is that who you think you are? You think you're God? And what was Jesus' answer? He said, you know, this is what I've said many times. He said, this is why I'm on trial. This is why you've arrested me. This is why you've beaten me, because I've said this numerous times. He said, I could tell you again, but you're not going to believe me anyways. And he said, your hearts are not receptive. Your minds are not open. You should believe that I am the Christ. But it doesn't matter how many times I've said it, you won't believe it. He is here. He's publicly confessing, yes, that's who I am. Yes, I am the Christ. That's exactly who I am. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. And the reality is some of us, some of us in here, we've been lied to. We've been lied to our whole lives. We've been lied to and we've been told, Jesus, he was just a good teacher. He was just a good man. He was a good example for us to follow. And we should look to Jesus and we should try and do what Jesus did. No, the reality is Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. All those things are true. Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus did, was a good example. Jesus loved children. Jesus did these things, absolutely. But those are not the reasons that he was arrested. Those are not the reasons that Jesus was blindfolded. Those are not the reasons that Jesus is being put to death. The reason that Jesus is being put to death is because he said, I'm the Christ. I am the anointed one. I am Emmanuel. I am God with us. And so, here in Luke's gospel, the first reason why Jesus says who I am, he says, I am the Christ. But then it goes a little further. They proceed with their line of questioning. And, and we see in Jesus, Jesus responds in verse 69. He says that he is the son of man. He says, but from now on, the son of man will be seated on the right hand of the power of God. You see, number one, Jesus said, I am the Christ. Number two, Jesus said, I am the son of man. Now, we can hear the Son of Man, and sometimes that's confusing. What does this term, the Son of Man, mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. We know that in the Bible, you know, these religious people, they're, they're people of the Bible. But here, Jesus is quoting them Bible back to them. You see, we talked about last week about how people can open up the Bible and, and be completely lost. Man, it's just words on a page. I don't get it. You see, when we understand what the Bible is, that the Bible is one great story telling the story of redemption through Jesus, and that we look on the Old and the New Testament all revealing Jesus, when we understand that the Bible is all about Jesus, things become so enlightened to us. And so Jesus begins quoting out of Daniel chapter 7. Out of Daniel chapter 7. See, these religious people are people who should know the Bible but they didn't understand. They couldn't make the connection here. So Daniel chapter 7, verses 13, 14, I think we've got it up here. Uh, Daniel was written 700 years before Christ was born, and this is what he said. He said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion 
and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You see, this is describing the Son of Man, and he's saying the Son of Man came from the clouds of heaven, meaning the Son of Man who's going to come to the earth. The Son of Man existed before he entered into human history. This is God, the Creator, coming from the kingdom of heaven to the earth. This is the Creator coming to the creation. And as the Son of Man, he's taking on human flesh. He's going to become a human like you and I. He's going to look and be like us. And Daniel said that the Son of Man came and he was going to be presented to the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days is God the Father. The Son of Man being God the Son is going going to be presented to God the Father. And it says, And to him was dominion and glory and a kingdom that will be peoples and nations and languages should serve him. You see, this is worship language here. This man, this son of man, this God in the flesh, he is to be worshipped because he's a king of kings and he's a lord of lords. He rules over all peoples, over all languages, over all cultures, over all religions, over all times, over all places. He's coming and everyone needs to worship and serve him. And Daniel concludes and he said, his kingdom will last, will be an everlasting kingdom. It will not pass away and it will not be destroyed. You see, the eternal creator, God, is going to come like a man, like the son of man, into human history, into uh, the world. And everyone is to worship and glorify and honor him. And he's going to establish a kingdom that will never end. He'll live forever, and his people will live forever under his rule. And it doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter what, 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 what language you speak, what your cultural background is. This is the son of man who's coming to the earth to establish his kingdom. And those who have come into a relationship with him will be a part of his kingdom forever. And so Jesus shows up, and he's been beaten, and he's on trial, and he says, I am the Christ, and I am the Son of Man that Daniel prophesied about 700 years ago. That Son of Man who's coming to establish his kingdom, that's me. And Jesus continues, and there's a third way that he declares himself to be God. You learn in verses 70 to 71, it says, they all said, you see all these chief priests and these, these political leaders, they're all coming, they're all, they're all narrowing in right now. They're leaning forward. It's kind of like, like they realize a shark swimming in a pool of blood. They know, man, there's, this is going to be finished really quick, really quick here. And they lean forward and they say one thing. All together, they say, are you the son of God? Yes or no? Yes or no? This is the only thing that matters. There's only one question we want to know. Are you the son of God? And he said to them, you say that I am. Here's what Jesus is saying. He said, I've I've repeatedly told you that I am the son of man. And all you're doing is echoing what I've already said. Yes, that's who I am. Yes, that's what I've said. Yes, I've said this again and again. And all you're doing is echoing what I've already told you. Yes, I've already said it. I am the son of God. And the, the court says, what further evidence do we need? What further trial do we need to do? He's guilty. We've heard it from our own lips. Jesus has taken the stand. He's being questioned. And Jesus emphatically declares to the question, yes, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of being who you say 
that I, I, I am. He said, I'm guilty of that. If that's the charge, I'm guilty of saying I'm God. I'm guilty of being God. I'm not going to recount my, 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 me being God. And if you need to, go ahead and put me to death. See, there's this old dead guy named C.S. Lewis who was a professor at Cambridge University and at one point was like an, an agnostic towards God. And he wrote this. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying a really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, as an example, but I don't accept his claim to be God. He says, that is the one thing that we cannot say. He says, you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, you can kill him as a liar, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He never intended to. Jesus made it very clear in his life, hey, you know what? I'm not just a good teacher. I am going and I'm being beaten. I'm being arrested. I'm being crucified. Not because I'm a good teacher. Not because I'm your perfect example. But because I am God. I am the Son of God. This theme that Jesus is the Son of God is woven all throughout the Gospels. All throughout the Gospels, reread the same thing. There's two occasions I'm going to point out. Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel, the angel Gabriel comes to, to Mary, Jesus' mother. And, and, and he says this. He says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and you'll bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. He's saying, Mary, that baby in your womb, that baby, that is, that is Emmanuel. That is God with us. This is the son of the most high. The angel affirms that Jesus is the son of God. And if we, we look forward a little bit to, John, to Luke chapter 3 at Jesus' baptism, Jesus goes to John the Baptist and he says, hey, you need to baptize me. And as Jesus is coming up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove. And God the Father from heaven speaks. And this is what he says. He says, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. The angel Gabriel on behalf of God and God the Father himself both publicly declare that Jesus is the son of God. And these people who are hearing this, hearing Jesus say he's the son of God, they understood what that meant. See, in, in John chapter 5, verse 18, the, the religious people hear Jesus claim that he is the Son of God. And, and verse 18 said, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself what? Making himself equal with God. By saying that he was the Son of God, he's saying, I am equal with God. He's saying, I am God in the flesh. Listen, guys, this is why Jesus was arrested. This is why Jesus was blindfolded. This is why he was beaten and blasphemed. This is why Jesus was hated. This is why Jesus was crucified, because Jesus claimed to be God. And it says after the trial, after they tried Jesus, and said, are you the son of God? And he said, yes, you say that I am. I am what you say. After, after the trial, they took Jesus and they beat him some more. And they scourged him. They ripped off the flesh off his back. And then they, they forcefully made him carry a, heaven, a heavy Roman crossbar on his barren and bloodied and traumatized back. And he fell on his face because he was unable to carry the cross any further because he was too exhausted. And somebody else had to come and carry that crossbar to the point 
uh, of where the crucifixion was going to take place. And they laid Jesus on the cross, and they drove the equivalent of railroad spikes through the most sensitive parts of his body, through his hands and through his feet. And they, they, they crucified him openly, publicly, shamefully, in the presence of his own mother. And as he's on the cross dying, people are, are cursing at him. They're jeering at him. They're spitting at him. They're blaspheming him. They're laughing at him. This is God. Let me say, if Jesus was lying, you have to explain to me why. You have to explain to me, if Jesus was lying about being the Son of God, why did he endure this? Why didn't he recant? If he would have just said, you know what? I lied. I made it up. It wasn't true. His life would have been spared. But he went and suffered a miserable death without ever recanting. You're going to have to explain that to me. If Jesus is not God, then why did he endure that? Why would he be willing to endure that? And to ensure that Jesus was dead, they ran a spear underneath his ribcage so that water and blood would flow out. And they buried Jesus in a cold tomb that was cut out of the rock. And they rolled a ginormous boulder in front of the rock to, to seal off the, the tomb and to make sure there was no tampering with the body. And they placed Roman guards there to defend and protect the tomb. See, Jesus died, and he died for our sins. And it says that three days later, Jesus performed the greatest miracle ever. The only miracle that we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God was this miracle right here. Because after three days, Jesus rose from the grave. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered Satan by raising from the dead. And he rose from the dead emphatically declaring, I am the Son of God. And what I find fascinating is Jesus comes, is God comes to the earth as Jesus. God comes to the earth as Jesus, and we put him on trial. God is with us, and we put him on trial. And the reality is we still do the same thing today. 2,000 years later, we are still putting Jesus on trial. We listen to the opinions from our favorite, most enlightened philosophers, the most popular TV show hosts, to our favorite historian. Or even we'll go and listen to what our, what our old friends have to say. Maybe even our drinking buddies. Hey, who do you think Jesus is? And everybody has an opinion. And we listen to what they say about who Jesus is. Well, Jesus was our good example. Jesus was a good person. Jesus, man, he was a liar. He never really, he wasn't even really existed. And we listen to what everybody has to say. He was offensive. He was outdated. He was intolerant. And, and his claims, his claims that we're supposed to follow him. And if, and if we follow him and make him Lord of all our lives, then that means that we are in charge of our lives. And we can't do what we want to do. And we have to surrender what we want to do to follow Jesus. We listen to these people say these things, and we begin to make our own judgment in our own minds about who we think Jesus is. We say, you know, Jesus, I can view him being this, but I'm not going to view him as being the Lord of my life. I'm not going to view him as being God Emmanuel, God with us. And we pass the same judgments as those religious and political leaders did 2,000 years ago. Let me tell you this. God was humble enough to come into human history God was humble enough to be judged, and it should show how horrendous we are. Because I'm going to tell you, there is, <laughs> we don't judge. We don't have the right to judge. Jesus judges us. 
And Jesus is coming again to judge both the living and the dead. In John chapter 5, he says, The Father judges no one. He's entrusted all judgment to the Son. You see, as I stated at the beginning, every one of us will be asked this specific question, Who do you say that Jesus is? And that answer will be the most important decision, the most important answer of any other question throughout our entire life. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because that will determine where we spend eternity. Are you going to reject God through Jesus? Or are you going to accept Jesus as God? Accept that he loved you so much that he came into human history as a person so he could identify with you. Are you going to accept Jesus as God, that he lived the perfect life without sin, the life we couldn't live? Are you going to accept Jesus as God, that he died on the cross, he died the death that you and I deserve? Are you going to accept Jesus as God, that he rose from the grave, conquering Satan and sin and death and hell? Are you going to accept Jesus as God, that he invites me this day to trust in him so that his death would be my death and so that his righteousness would be my righteousness. You see, there is a day of judgment coming, but we aren't going to be the ones judging. It'll be Jesus who judges. And he's going to ask that question, who do you say that I am? Am I one of the prophets? Am I a teacher? Or am I who I said I was? The son of God. God, Emmanuel. God with us. The choice is yours. Is Jesus your God? Not your teacher, not your leader, not your example, not your inspiration, but is Jesus your God and your Savior? This is for every one of us in here today. See, if you've been on the outskirts in the process of investigating Christianity, trying to figure out, man, what do I, uh, what does this Christianity thing mean? What do, what do I, who is this Jesus? What am I supposed to do with this? I believe God is working on your heart. I believe that God is stirring in your soul. And I urge you today, I urge you today to say, that's it. Today, Jesus is my God. I'm going to become a Christian today by the grace of God. And if you're already a Christian here today, don't become distracted that Jesus is just your teacher or your example to follow. Yes, Jesus is those things. But Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross not to be your leader and not to be your example. He came and he died to be your savior. This is why we go through a small group study called the Explicit Gospel. Because we get so distracted and we, we, we want to make Christianity, even though we understand it's about Jesus, or even though we understand it's about what Jesus has done for us, we fall back to our old ways. We fall back to, to what he called uh, moralistic therapeutic deism. We say Christianity, yeah, yeah, I accepted Jesus, I have that. But now, as, now that I'm a Christian, I just have all this list of things I have to do. I have to go to church, I have to read my Bible, I have to give money to the offering, I have to do these things. And then I can't do these other things, I can't, I can't lie, I, I, can't, I, I can't sin, I can't. And we have these lists of things. And even though we're Christians, even though we're, we're saved by grace, we make it a list of rules, even after that. And that is why we have to come back and remember who Jesus is. Jesus is not our teacher. Jesus is not our example. He's our savior. He is our savior. And we can never lose fact of the, the sight of who he is. So it doesn't matter if we're investigating Christ or if we've been Christians forever. This is true for us today. Who do you say today that Jesus is? This is why we worship him. 
Not because he was my teacher, because he was my savior. This is why we follow him. Not because he's my example, but because he's my savior. As the worship team comes forward, I want to invite you this morning to respond to God's word with us through worship and through communion.